I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler, U-G-A-L-Y. We'll talk about it. Uh, where does Florida need to show improvement down the stretch? Which young players would we like to see more of in the last four games of the season? And we'll wrap up with the Arkansas preview. Will, let's jump right into it. We'll do. We'll, we'll talk about this this game here. Seven plays and sixty six yards of pure perfectionist start. An opening drive which started with a twenty seven yard connection between Mertz and Wilson and ended with a twenty five yard touchdown pass between the same pair. Wilson did a nice job sprinting, breaking through the defenders there and sprinting toward the goal line, uh, just reaching the ball over, getting in seven nothing Gators. Life was good. The colors were a little brighter. It was all downhill from there. It was all downhill from there. That Golden State effect I talked about the other day on, on our show, if you watch our Georgia preview show, it happened, and it happened early. Four drives, four scores. I wanted to be excited, Will. The first drive when Florida held uh, Georgia to the field goal, wanted to be excited, except CBS comes back from commercial and is like, here's Austin Armstrong desperately trying to call a timeout running down the sideline, and the defense is completely lost. So it seems like we were more lucky than good on that one. But, hey, we held him to a field goal on, on, on that. So uh, poorly executed trick play on a fourth down a couple drives later when you maybe could have done something a lot simpler. But I'll tell you what, we'd have a deep dive into that play if it actually mattered. <laughs> and then we saw another uh, episode, this week's episode of Florida's weekly special teams miscue showed up, this time in the form of a block punt, which mercifully only resulted in a safety. But I could go on and on, but I'm going to do something here for everybody because we love you guys. We love you. You know, I want to do something for you that we couldn't do in real time. And that's going to be press the fast forward button here. So Mertz was under fire all day. The offensive line did not hold up against the Georgia front. Two fumbles by Mertz, one recovered by the bad guys. Pearsall and Wilson put up numbers. Boardingham had one catch. So we did not see Boardingham continue into this game. Etienne Johnson just never got going. Didn't really need to. <laughs> it wasn't really... It wasn't really an option at some point down the stretch. The defense surrendered 315 yards through the air, 218 of which went to McConkie and love it. McConkie just absolutely killed this defense. Uh, you would hardly know that the dogs were missing their best player on the offense, offensive side of the ball as Carson Beck looked mighty comfortable all afternoon there. Well, on the ground, Edwards and Milton, they combined for 151 of UGA's 171 yards rushing did what they wanted when they wanted to pretty much. The defense was not remotely competitive in this one. It was ugly. There's still a massive, significant gap between the on-the-field product at Florida and Georgia. Florida scores the first seven and proceeds to surrender 36 consecutive points. Will 43-20, dogs roll. Ugly, ugly afternoon. Yeah, I mean, you know, I it's interesting. There, always, whenever there's a loss for Florida, a lot of the fire Napier people come out of the woodwork and start tweeting it at me or tweeting at anybody or Xing, whatever it's called. And uh, you know, I look, I picked Georgia by three touchdowns. I did that because I looked at the statistics. And we can talk about whether it's because of talent. We can talk about whether it's because of coaching. We can talk about whether it's because of scheme. We can talk about any of those things. But just based on the statistical profiles of these teams coming in, it was clear Georgia was a better team. So the fact that Georgia came out and whipped Floor's butt really isn't a surprise and shouldn't be a surprise. You, know, you can argue that these units should be better 
I can make an argument that the defense especially should be better, but it hasn't been better all year long. So now you go face the number one team in the country and are surprised the defense doesn't get a stop. Like that to me seems like a, a foolhardy errand. I looked at this game coming in. I said, Florida's defense hasn't stopped anybody in the last like six weeks. Basically, ever since the Charlotte game, they haven't really stopped anybody. Um, I guess maybe you could say, that. well, what, Tennessee was before Charlotte, right? So since the Charlotte game, they haven't stopped anybody. And, you know, the real the only time the defense has really shown any sort of ability to get any pressure or get off the field is that one Tennessee game, the two cupcake games. And obviously all those games are at home. Give us some credit for Vandy. Will. come on. And now I look, I think What's we can. Like? I don't think the defense played well against Vandy. I think they got kind of lucky. In fact, if you look at the overall yards per play in that game, Vanderbilt outgained Florida. They got a couple of big stops that they got a fourth down stop when it was 14 to seven. All right, now you're just piling on. No, you're just no, it on. I'm saying no, 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 no. I'm not at all. What what I'm saying is, is that everybody looks at the score and they go, "Oh, the defense gave up 14 points to Vandy." What they didn't look at was like the six and a half yards per play that they gave up, which is more in line with a team that gives up 30. So that eventually evens itself out, and we saw that in this game. Georgia doesn't screw stuff up in the red zone. Georgia makes you pay when you're out of position, mm-hmm. and every time, other than that one time where Florida was trying to get a timeout called. Georgia made them absolutely pay every turnover, every the fourth down that didn't, you know, on the, on the ridiculous play to, to ETN, all of those different plays immediately converted into touchdowns. Like Georgia wasn't screwing around when Florida decided to say, here's the game on a silver platter. Georgia said, cool, 20 yard run for a touchdown, right? They, mm-hmm. they managed like there was no, there wasn't any like emotion about it. They just methodically went about kicking the other team's butt. And, you know, the, the, there were two things you texted me right after the game or maybe right after the play, there was a fourth and three where Florida threw the ball a little bit short and, uh, and was not able to get the first down. I think it was Trey Wilson who got tackled on the outside. And you, you texted me and were like, when's the last time Florida had a big time open field tackle on a fourth down? I'm like, what's a tackle? Yeah. Georgia corner came up and made a tackle there. That one broken tackle. It's a big play, but. Came yep. up, made a nice tackle. Well, same thing, right? South Carolina doesn't make that tackle two weeks ago. And right. Boardingham goes for the first down, and all of a sudden the, the comeback's on. I don't think the comeback was going to take place at that point, but it would have at least made it more respectable. And then, so that's the first part. And then the other one is that fourth down play. And we can break down whether it was the right play call and all that sort of stuff. And I actually liked that Napier went for it on fourth down, but he had like two feet to get. Should it have been inches? Yes, it should have been inches. But he had two feet to get, and he didn't trust either a quarterback sneak or handing the ball off to his running back. He knew that his offense could not get two feet against that Georgia defense. That tells you all you need to know about what Napier thinks about his team and how ready they are to take on the Georgia team. And so, look, it's a, it's a, it's a butt-whipping. There's no doubt about that. But – to me, I'm not surprised by it. This is what I expected, and I think what the more than what I expected, because this isn't about me and tooting my horn, it's that the statistics suggested this was going to be a butt-whipping. And now Florida needs to go back to the, to the drawing board in a few places and say, all right, how do we make these statistics and tilt them more in our favor, specifically on the defensive side of the ball? But look, they're, they got some offenses that are going to be playing in the next couple of weeks, and they're going to have to find some answers on the on the defensive side of the ball. Otherwise, they're going to be having to score 40 points a game to win some of these games coming down the stretch, and I'm not sure that the offense is going to have the ability to do that. Yeah, the offense just never really had any time. The first drive, the scripted drive was great, right? Like, Mertz was flawless. The Great plays. It just – you almost watched it and like, are we going to have a carryover from the Carolina game? Like, is this, did they just figure something out in that game? 
No, turns out no. It turns out they're exactly what we've seen against other solid defenses here. Do- well, is this just we, we seem to have the formula with what works with this team and what doesn't work with this team. When they get in these big games, I, I'm not even going to harp on any type of play calling here because I, I really do believe this is just a case where we were outmatched. Napier did take a chance on that fourth down play with going with the trick play instead of something easy. I think it should be mandatory if you're under fourth and one just to line up and why does everyone not run the, the what do they call it, the tush push from the Philadelphia Eagles? Everyone should just run that. I, I don't understand why that's not mandatory on fourth and under one, but I can also understand trying to make a play happen there, try to figure something out. I don't think it, it it did bury us a little bit early. It kind of finished things a little bit early for us, but at the same time, it appeared that we were heading that direction anyway. So I, I don't think this game requires a lot of significant breakdown in terms of play by play or questioning calls. Uh, this is just, and this is just what you harp on all the time. Will with recruiting, this was a simple uh, game where you're just outmatched completely across the board. It seemed like it, it wasn't really competitive all afternoon. No, I mean, and so it's not just recruiting because Florida got their butt kicked by Kentucky too. So, um, you know, and Kentucky isn't necessarily out recruiting Florida. I think there's schematic things that can be done better. I think there certainly should be an expectation that some of these players play better than they do. Maybe not necessarily against Georgia, but in, in some of these other games. Um, I think you can have some criticism of the staff and potentially the players as well. The, the big thing to me is even if you go back and look at that opening drive, and this was something that surprised me when I went back on the rewatch, but if you watch the opening drive on the touchdown throw to Trey Wilson, ETN was in pass protection and picked up a blocker on essentially what amounted to a cross between between a linebacker and a defensive lineman. And ETN completely whiffed on it. Merch got the ball out of his hands really quickly to, to Wilson. It turns into a touchdown. The exact same defense, the exact same type of play later. And I even sent it to you. I sent you a screenshot. I'm sure I'll put it up on the site this week. But Mertz had Wilson open. He just didn't let the ball go. And when there's any sort of hesitation, the offensive line cannot hold up. So what that means is in a scripted play where Merch knows exactly where he's going on the first 10 or 15 plays of the game, and they know exact and he knows exactly what he's trying to get, and he gets the exact configuration from the defense and he knows where he wants to go, and they've repped it over and over and over and over and over again. He's letting the ball rip, and all of a sudden these guys are getting to where they need to get to. In a game against like South Carolina, where they weren't necessarily getting a whole bunch of pressure, hey, not a huge deal, right? You sort of roll out to the right. Your guys have an opportunity to get open. You can make a play. This Georgia defense isn't like that. You got to get the ball out right away. And not necessarily because they get a ton of pressure, but because they are so disciplined that you're going to struggle <laughs> anyway. And look, the offensive line struggled. Damian George specifically struggled at right tackle. I thought that Florida really didn't make an adjustment having the running back come over and chip or having a tight end over there to help chip. Like they don't do any of that. You don't really see much of that. And when your tackles are struggling as much as those guys are, um, you would think that they would start to help at least a little bit in pass protection over there, especially considering they were gashing Georgia up the middle with some running plays um, even early on. So, there were some opportunities for them to do some things a little bit different, but like you said, I mean, this was one of those where Georgia was clearly the better team. And again, I think recruiting has a lot to do with that, but it's not the only thing I think Kirby smart. I mean, you know, he, he was mad at the guy who got an offsetting personal foul penalty. They're heading into the half. They asked him what he was talking about that player with. And he basically said, you put yourself in front of the team. And I don't know whether that guy played in the second half or how, how many plays he was off or how many runs he's going to make this week or something like that. But those guys know not to cross him and they know not to do that. And they have a level of discipline that they play with that Florida really needs to aspire to. They're not there yet. 
It doesn't mean I think that Napier can't get there, but it does mean that I think they're going to need to make some adjustments, not just um, you know, not just this season, but in the off season, probably some probably some staff changes and things like that. And really, you know, the culture they're trying to build, I think, is one where the players, you know, the culture before was very toxic. I think they're trying to build a culture now that has something to do with sort of the idea of like the players want to be there and stuff like that, but there still needs to be a fear of the coach. There needs to be a fear. You're going to be pulled off the field. There needs to be a fear that if you don't perform, your job will go to somebody else. I don't know that that exists right now. And I think out of all the criticisms that I had, that I would have specifically on the defensive side of the ball, it would be that it feels like the same guys who are struggling in the same ways continue to find their way out there. Now that may mean that the guys behind them are struggling just as bad, but in some in some capacity, you almost have to give those guys a shot to allow them to struggle in the same way, just so that you you prove the point that look, you don't just get to go out there and give give you know seventy five percent effort. We expect hundred percent effort on every rep every time, and and we're going to see that, or we're going to pull you off the field. Well, we know where we stand. We know where we stand in terms of where we want to go, and I feel like we've been watching the same bad movie for what five of the last six years. Here, it's been. Uh, it's not been a great movie to watch. So we'll uh, hopefully continue to close the gap. I know uh, the one bright side is Saturday night. I was seeing some sick highlights of DJ Lagway. So the future is out. The future's getting a little closer every week, every week. Well, but- and, and and so that's actually something I wrote about this week um, as part of the recap. So if you hadn't had a chance to check that out at Read Reaction, check it out. Um, the recap was some things schematically I thought Florida could have done better. And then at the end, it was an analysis of Napier in general and where he sits. And the reason Dan Mullen was let go, and Kirby Smart even cracked a joke about it in the press conference after the game, where basically like, yeah, hey, Mullen's a really good coach. Didn't want to recruit, though. And it's like, that's why we got rid of Dan Mullen. So... Napier is starting to show progress on the recruiting trail that we didn't get from Dan Mullen, that we didn't get from Jim McElwain. And quite honestly, at least on the offensive side of the ball, we didn't get from Will Muschamp either. And so whether or not Napier ends up being the right coach on the field or not, to me is less relevant than the fact that he's going he's going to fill the cupboard full of players, either for him to succeed or the next guy to succeed. And if you think about Ron Zook, Bringing in guys like Brandon Seiler, bringing in guys like Chris Leak, bringing in guys like Dallas Baker was a huge part of that 2006 championship team. Urban Meyer won that 2006 championship mostly with guys from the two thousand from Ron Zook's recruiting classes, and then supplemented in guys like Tebow and Harvin and those sorts of, and Spikes and those sorts of guys to really succeed in 2006. It wasn't until 2008 that his guys took over. So from a, from just a, just a big picture perspective to put a ton of heat on Napier at this point, let him bring in the top three class first, (laughs) like let him bring those guys in, let him bring in Lagway. Let's see what we've got. And look, I'll be the first one. If he doesn't do it two years in a row, if you know, if he, if he's back at 12th in recruiting in 2025, all right, that's a problem. That's Texas A&M. That's not Georgia. That's not Alabama. But you know you got to start. You got to start somewhere, and the fact that he's got this top three class sitting there for 2024 means he's doing something the previous guys Florida has gotten rid of have not been able to do. And so I think you have to give him the ability and the patience to see that out. And that was always really my point about the bump class. It wasn't that the bump class wasn't good enough, and I sat there and said, "Oh, he'll never get there." It's that the bump class 
wasn't going to buy him the patience <laughs> that was necessary. Usually that bump class gives you immediate results. And then because you get those immediate results, you get the patience to keep building something, which is essentially what we saw with Smart at Georgia, where you, year two, he's playing for big time things at Georgia, but really didn't get the job done until two years ago. Gets the job done two years ago, and now he's the class of college football. Um, and as hard as that is to say, that's the truth, right? Georgia hasn't lost in 25 games, and uh, hopefully somebody clips them sometime soon. But uh, as of right now, that's who you're aiming for, and it's very clear how he got there. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, there are a lot of people out there who see the on-field results and say, Billy Napier's not the right coach. And I'm like, yeah, but Dan Mullen had really good on-field results his first two years, and Dan Mullen wasn't the right coach for a completely different reason. And so that specific reason is something where, where Billy Napier looks really, really good. And so to, to torch that because you don't like what's going on on the field with players who, let's be honest, we all knew we're not going to be the guys, at least the, the juniors and seniors, we're going to be the guys who bought into the program, not the guys who led them to championships. Um, I think, I think this is things like, again, my mind isn't changed by what happened to Georgia, just like my mind wasn't really changed by what happened at South Carolina. That could have really easily been a loss against the Gamecocks. And the fact that they get the win is awesome but it's not necessarily indicative that they're a better team just because they pulled that one out. It's just, you got a little bit lucky in a one score game. You, you, you made the plays you had to down the stretch and you got the win. That's great. In this Georgia game, eh, you are exactly who we thought we were. And turns out it's, you know what? 23 point loss. Let it hurt for a couple more days. Turn the page though. Turn the page. It always sucks listening to Georgia, even when, you know, theoretically, it looks like you're supposed to lose to Georgia with the the way we were the way it's structured right now. We're definitely on on the uh, low end of that. They, I think, in our lifetime, I think I saw a tweet from who was it? Uh, West Blankenship, I think. He he's uh he does a lot of the. He's he's pretty funny. I forget what outlet he's with. Uh, is he with? Is he with twenty four seven? Will I think so? I think maybe yeah, perhaps twenty four seven. But anyway, he has a lot of good stuff. Georgia guy, but he uh he tweeted that his daughter is like four five years old or something. She's seen as many wins over Florida as a Georgia fan as he had by the time he was like a senior in high school or something. So it's <laughs> like he's like a little perspective here, Georgia fans. You need to appreciate what's going on right now because this was not a common thing a couple decades ago. And hey, look, Georgia, it's important to remember. They're in a golden era for their program. This is we're back in. This is like from from a Florida perspective, this is the Herschel Walker days. We're living through another chapter of those Herschel Walker days. Where if anything, it's worse. If anything, it's worse. This this might be the best stretch of Georgia football history, and they've had a great history. Certainly, uh, not Alabama level history, but very good history on the football field. This is this is tough as a Gator to be going through this, and that's tough to that's that's why the the patience angle is hard right now. But what Will saying is absolutely correct. Napier gets time to build. The fact is, if you look at what's going on in the upper class on this team, that's a failure of of the previous administration that we're still working through. However, there are things that have been trends within Napier that Napier needs to take accountability for for what the mistakes are on his part but in terms of overall where the roster is at this moment that's not totally on napier yet that's not on napier yet and we will get there at some point so i mean you, you can have all the debates you want will about the transfer portal and maybe some other schools having better success about that but uh 
with the transfer portal and such, but I, I do think it takes some time to flip a roster to get it to a point. You're talking about competing with Georgia and Alabama and such. That That's going to take a few years. That does not happen overnight. Yeah. So first, first off, I did look blank and ships with on three. So George is on, on three, three sorry, on three, uh, on three affiliate there. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think it, it's, it's difficult, right? Because, um, when I see them go up against Georgia, I go, yeah, this should be expected. The problem is, is that you also have the same issues against Utah and Kentucky and, and right. struggle in certain instances against other teams, even if you get the win and those sorts of things. The thing that's unacceptable is a defense at 112th in yards per play allowed, giving up 6.1 yards per play. You yeah. give up six yards a play, you're going to go up 40 points a game. The fact that they haven't had that as the outcome has a lot more to do with their opponents kind of imploding and not, not really playing the best quarterbacks in the conference. And the quarterbacks that they're going to be playing coming up are going to be much, much better. Brady cook is actually a little bit better than car or a little bit worse than Carson Beck. They're right. Sort of right. One, two, or I'm sorry, three, four in the sec and QB rating. Jaden Daniels is putting up like a Heisman worthy season. They're quarterback at LSU. So you got KJ Jefferson coming up this week with Arkansas and he's somebody who's really taken a step back this year. That's when you got to get. And the question I have, and I think this is a question most people have is Arkansas is 128th in yards per play. They are so bad offensively, but Florida's really bad defensively. And are the Gators going to be able to get the stops they need to in this one because of where, where things sit. It's, it's a really, it's a really interesting contrast in styles and, you know, we'll see, cause this one's critical. Cause if you get the sixth win, DJ Lagway is talking about coming in and playing uh, essentially coming in during the bowl practices, you get that sixth win and you get that guy who's going to be a true freshman coming in bowl practices, then spring practices, then fall practices. It's no longer this like, Oh, we can't let a true freshman start. It's, Look, we got a guy who's essentially a sophomore in here playing because he's gotten so much practice time, and and I think that really makes a difference. So they they the Arkansas game is going to be critical. Well, let's focus on let's let's turn the page here. Let's uh, focus down the stretch. We're officially at the two thirds point of the season, by the way, which always it always blows my mind. Once you get through October, it just flies in the college football calendar. It just flies. So we're already two-thirds of the way done with the season here. We've got Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, and Florida State left. So, Will, I want to know from you, where does Florida need to improve in their final four games to consider this season a step forward for the program? So I, I, I'm I'm going to actually start, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start here. I don't care what the protocol has been to this point. Whatever it is for the special teams, it's been atrocious. It, it, it needs to change. It needs to change. It, we got multiple games here to get it right, but we can't go We can't go more than one week without a significant critical special teams error. And you wouldn't know it by watching this season, but it is possible to not do that. It's possible to not have that happen week to week. So I'm not asking for it to become a strength of the team, but – I think there's enough talent on this roster and enough talent on the staff to at least ensure that it does not kill us week to week. And I'd like to get to to that point where it doesn't hurt us, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be our strength, right? Can we get somewhere in the middle where we're just not making the massive mistake on it? So I think this is 100% an area that Napier needs to focus on in the off season. But so far this season, I don't know what it's been in the program. Well, maybe it's a little bit of uh, I'm focusing on on what color the drapes are while the house is burning, and Napier's more focused on figuring out the defense and figuring out a little bit of an up and down offense. 
So he's probably got bigger, bigger things going on to focus so much on special teams. But someone in that building has to just be totally dedicated to figuring something out to not make this a total liability every time they step on the field. Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, I think I would love to see special teams get better. I don't know that they're necessarily going to. And that's, you know, that, that I understand why people get frustrated with Napier and his organization when it just doesn't get better and when it seems like very simplistic type things. Now, look, nobody on Florida's offensive line did a great job of blocking on Saturday. And so the fact that they didn't do a great job of blocking on a special teams play when Georgia probably had four or five stars out there rushing, I'm not necessarily like shocked that there was a special teams gaffe. It's just that there have been so many special teams gaffes all year long that you look at that and go, Oh, there's one more, right? If it had just been one and this was the only one, I don't know that we would say much about it, but the fact that it's been a systemic problem the whole year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult for me to be all that sympathetic to the coaching staff because the whole point of getting paid 7 million bucks, the whole point of having this giant payroll for all the assistance that you're bringing in is not just that those guys are going to focus on recruiting alone. Like you need a rounded coaching staff that is able to communicate to the players what they are supposed to do and able to get the players to perform. And as to this point, they haven't been able to do that, not just special teams. There are other places they haven't been able to do that either. And, you know, it's a little bit bad news bearish from the standpoint of, you know, that everybody else, like you go to like a, um, you go watch like UTEP play and they're not getting a bunch of, they're not having a bunch of special teams gaffes, right? Like even when they, even when the cupcakes come and play Florida or Alabama or something like that, they may get beat physically, but at least on the special teams, they're not making stupid penalties. They're, you know, not a bunch of blocks and block field goals or kickers can usually make it, those sorts of things. So look, much lesser programs, much lesser budgets, much less experience can get their players to perform. And I think that's going to be one of the keys. And again, is it going to get fixed this year? I don't necessarily know. Do I care in terms of the outcome for this year? It probably, again, I, you, you, you said it right. I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but this is essentially like the, the very, like it's the, it's the cherry on top of the Sunday. There's some stuff in that Sunday we need to fix too, because there's some rocks or something in there that need to be removed before we eat that thing. And and uh, you know, there's other fish to fry at the same time. Like just frying some of the fish would be useful. Um, and and special teams is sort of part of that. So special teams, that's one area here. Well, what do you want to see us really focus on and consider this season uh some level of progress in the Billy Napier era? Defensive line. I've been saying since, you know, since we lost to Oregon State that the defensive line was bad last year. Defensive line have been bad this year. 11 total sacks. They're averaging 1.4 sacks per game, 116th in sack rate in the entire country. Um, You want to start somewhere on the defensive unit. And there are other places on the defense that probably need some, need some support as well, or need some, need some improvement as well. But they're 112th in yards per play allowed, and part of that is they get zero pressure. They had one play where they where they brought six guys to try to get to Beck. Georgia picked it up perfectly, had two crossers going across the line of scrimmage, and Beck had either guy he could throw to. He picked he chooses the one. Jordan Castell was a ways away, but he's a ways away because of the because of the blitz that they ran. And the whole point of the blitz was to get in his face, disrupt him, maybe get an overthrow, something like that. And Beck just sat back there and easily completed the pass, turns into a first down, the drive keeps going. A lot of the problems that they're running into 
are that the quarterback has no one in his face, is able to sort of pick apart where he wants to throw the ball. And if you look at when the turnovers have come, and they've been pretty few and far between, but when the turnovers have come, they have come when there has been pressure up the middle. So the the throw that Joe Milton made, the interception that was essentially the backbreaker for Tennessee, that was when they got a ton of pressure up the middle. When you think about Spencer Rattler, when he threw the interception that sort of iced that game for Florida, that was pressure up the middle. So we look at Human Melan and and Tyreek Sapp maybe to get to get the sack numbers. And it would be nice if those guys had eight, nine, ten sacks. They don't. There's I think Human Melan has three. Um, but but that's not necessarily what I need to see. I need to see push up front because it all starts there. I mean, the the Yes, there are gaps that are being missed. Yes, there are there are things in the secondary that could be cleaned up as well. But it all starts from the standpoint of when you're already two yards back from the line of scrimmage, when when the offensive line double teams you to start with, and they essentially get to the linebackers because they're climbing because they're moving the defensive lineman back. Um, you're going to get gashed a lot when that happens, and that's what happened this game. I mean, it's funny, or not funny, but George only had one explosive run, and it was the 20-yard run for the touchdown that looked like the guy was basically jogging down the sideline. Mm. And other than that one explosive play, they didn't have anything else that was more than 20 yards. Now, they still run 38 times for 171 yards, which means you know they're averaging four and a half yards a carry, and that was kind of what it felt like. It felt like seven, and then three, and then nine, and then five. And it was just, it was just you know, constantly, every time they needed four yards, they got six. Every time they needed three, they got four. Every time they needed nine, they got 11. And that was just sort of the way it felt the entire game. And then Beck would drop back, have plenty of time, and, and would hit his receiver. So that, to me, is the place where you just have to see a difference. And I know they're rotating a lot of guys in. I know they've tried everything that they have there. But, you know, if, if you want to ask me where does this defense need to get something, it's a push up front. And whatever they have to do to do that, that's the place where, um, you know, these are the transfers they brought in, right? Banks and Jackson are guys they brought in who are transfers. Desmond Watson, uh, you know, has has been there for a while now and should be able to be pretty sturdy there inside. Chris McClellan was a big recruit they brought in last year. Those guys are going to have to start to get some push, and that doesn't mean you shoot a gap and try to get inside and get a tackle for a loss. It just means making if you hold the double team up, then it allows the linebacker to come in and clean it up. If you don't hold the double team up, if they push you back a couple of yards and that allows the guard to sort of get out to the linebacker, the linebacker can't even get in the hole, which means all of a sudden it's a big play. So that's just happened way too often. And uh, that's, that's the place that I think they're going to need to find something, what they're going to do. I'm not necessarily sure, but that's the place where I think everything starts, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Well, so one, one area where they can look for some, Maybe maybe a little jolt is within some of these young guys they brought in that maybe we haven't seen that much of yet. So down the stretch here, Will, are, is there, are there any players that are on your radar? Maybe there's some guys that are playing in the red shirt, but you could play up to four games before you lose your red shirt now. So this is the time to get those young players some playing time. I, I'd like to see down the stretch here. You probably want to leave that bowl game open if, if we'd make a bowl game, obviously. But I think you'll know by Florida State like what direction that's headed. Uh, so hopefully this Arkansas game would get it. And then those last four games, they could really concentrate on playing some young guys. Who are some young guys you'd really like to see get some serious run down the stretch here? 
And so I think there's a lot of guys that I'd like to see. I think obviously the young guys, the guys you think about. So, um, you know, guys like Will Norman, guys like Cameron James, guys like Sharif Denson, guys like Dijon Johnson and Jakeem Jackson there on the back end. Jakeem Jackson's played seven games so far this year. The issue is, at least from a redshirt perspective, most of these guys have already played a bunch of games, right? I mean, you got Trayon Webb who's played in seven. You got Jaden Robinson's played in eight. You got Norman who's played in four. Andy Jean's played in four. Um you know, you got Dijon Johnson's played in eight. Cameron James played in eight. Sharif Dempson's played in eight. So you're not really talking about guys who are going to redshirt here at this point. It's just a question of do their roles expand? Um, you know, Florida, the, there was that there was that thing right going around right before the South Carolina game where they have the most true freshmen who've played in the country. That's really true. I, I think the 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 question is going to be: Are there any guys who are maybe sitting on the sitting on the fence of getting to four games? Do you maybe put those guys in there? I don't know. I mean, look, I, I think this has less to do with who they put in the game and more to do with finding out who's going to get you what you need up front, right? So maybe that even means tilting the playing time towards some people and moving it away from other people in order to give them the 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 run they need, right? So instead of a guy getting in there and having three tackles over eight games, you get a guy who over the next four is going to get an opportunity to get seven, eight, nine, ten tackles over that same time. Get him the playing time, right? I mean, it can't get worse. And the funny part is, as I said this last year about the defense, I'm like, it can't get worse, and it's about as bad as it was last year. We got to um, stop saying that about the defense, by the way. <laughs> at I think some I texted, point. I think I texted that to you this weekend where I was like, we got to stop saying it can't get worse with the defense because we keep finding ways to at least equalize it. Well, the funny part is I kept I kept saying that about Nussmeyer and, and McIlwain in terms of the offense. Like, it can't get worse. It's like, yeah, it can be about the exact same, which which is bad. So, you know, I, I think I think one of the things they might need to really think about it, as opposed to not just necessarily the players, but I think it's a scheme thing. I think I need to play some more zone. I think if you're not going to get pressure with six, just don't even walk, don't don't do it. Rush four play a zone, the quarterback can't run against you, and you make the guy make the throw in between the zones, make him make a mistake. Maybe you get pressure with that front four. Maybe he floats a ball over a guy in the zone. You get an interception. Like the the cover two man under stuff just isn't working, especially when they bring an extra blitzer. And and so I think there's probably some schematic stuff. I think there's a certain do, quarterback in Tallahassee you really want to see that game plan for. Oh right? my God. Yes. Please no single high safety against Jordan Travis. Please. <laughs> Yeah, hey, Will, I, I love these receivers that we brought in, uh, Gene, Mizell, and, of course, Wilson. I, I think, Wilson, you see that superstar potential with him. It's great that he seems like he's popped. Uh, but Gene's been fighting some injuries here and there. I'd really like to see him aid Mizell. I'd like to see him. I think he brings something a little different in terms of uh, being that guy that's the deep threat, something that's really lacked in this offense all year long. Uh, Wilson is that Wilson does a great job of stretching it sideline to sideline. We saw him this weekend against Georgia where he was maybe the lone bright spot on offense at times where he, he can really do about anything across the field, but great in short yardage situations in particular. I think Mizell can bring something different to the table. I, he hasn't played a ton this year. We haven't seen a lot of him. I'd like to see him factor in a little more down the stretch and at least get some reps if we're looking ahead toward the future here. So that that was my guy I had circled that I would really like to see a little more of Aiden Mizell down the stretch. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think those younger guys, you'd obviously like to see them step up at the same time. Um, we had, you know, I had an article in the, uh, or a couple of pages in our preseason magazine looking at these guys who are, when you bring in a wide receiver, like how often do those guys really pan out as a true freshman? When do they really contribute? I think Trey Wilson has done an excellent job of sort of meeting that threshold of a guy who really breaks out. I think he's going to be a freshman all SEC, which no for doubt. Those Andy- that didn't read it was about 35 catches, would be about elite. Right. Yeah, it was about 35 catches, but it was usually like 13 or 14 yards per yards per catch. A lot of the catches Trey Wilson's getting are the little are the little bubble screen or not bubble screens, the little the little tosses that where he's coming in front of the quarterback, and that's considered a pass. So you do need to sort of factor that in that it's essentially a reverse. At the same time, yeah, Trey Wilson, I think, given the the amount they've gone to him, he had 11 catches in this game. Um, given the uh, the amount that he's done, he's going to be a freshman All SEC. But that's the thing is that when you get these guys who are signed, unless they're like five-star can't-miss candidates, and even then, like I think Percy Harvin had something like 35 catches his first year in Gainesville. Now he had like 45 runs as well, and obviously it was a big part of what they did in 2006. But that's sort of the ceiling of what you typically get. So the idea that we're going to get this giant contribution from Gene or Mizell – um, now that we've seen Wilson break out, it's like, well, maybe, right? I mean, these, and that's not to say these guys won't be good in the future. It's just say you don't typically see three wide receivers come in as true freshmen and contribute. And we've seen kind of what you would expect. You sign three receivers, one breaks out, the other two are finding their niche. And hopefully a couple of years from now, they'll be really, really solid receivers for Florida. But I mean, look, Wilson's a star. There's no doubt about that. And now it's just a question of keeping him healthy. All right, let's look at the Arkansas game to wrap up here. Sam Pittman in the Hogs are hurting, Will. Losers of six straight with an 0-5 SEC record. And Pittman was like the darling of SEC football, right, in 2020, 2021. They flipped around Arkansas real fast, made them a competitive program. But they haven't really taken that next step. They're always like they're a team that likes they'll, they'll fight you, they'll be tough. But they fall short in a lot of close games, and we've seen that this season. So only one of those six losses, they're two and six, only one of those six losses against BYU, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Alabama, Mississippi State have been for more than have been for greater than double digits. 12 point loss to the Aggies. They kind of had a they had a pick six situation and a punt return uh, touched for a touchdown there that that really did them in, in the fourth quarter. Arkansas is certainly a flawed team, but Something tells me the Gators are going to be in for a real fight. This is going to be a scrappy game. I think this, they're going to have to fight through it, and it's not going to be easy here. So it, in terms of uh, the matchup on the field, Will, we'll talk about those black uniforms in a minute, but in terms of the matchup on the field, how are you feeling about Arkansas coming to town? I mean, this is a really interesting one. So K.J. Jefferson was one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC last year. He has not been very good this year. His quarterback rating 139.3 is below average. His yards above replacement, which is my stat, is negative 0.73. So he's been worse than Graham Mertz this year. Just about every stat you can find, including yards per attempt, yards per completion, um, and, and also completion percentage, QB rating, and yards. So Florida has an advantage of quarterback here, and I think they're gonna have to take advantage of that. Now, Arkansas is 128th overall in yards per play. Florida's 53rd. Major advantage to Florida on the offensive side of the ball. Arkansas is 59th in yards per play allowed on defense, and Florida's 112th. So advantage Arkansas when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. And the numbers are kind of the same. So 53rd on offense for Florida, 59th on defense for Arkansas. 128th on our offense for Arkansas, 112th on defense for Florida. So basically, week versus week. 
when it comes to Arkansas's offense versus Florida's defense and kind of mid versus mid when it comes to Florida's offense versus Arkansas's defense. And so who's going to win, right? Who's going to win? Is Florida's defense so bad that they can't even stop an anemic offense? Or is Arkansas's offense so anemic that they won't even be able to exploit uh, a Florida defense that's really, really bad? Now, I talked earlier about Florida getting in the backfield, making some sacks, having push up front. Arkansas is 120th in the country, giving up 7.6 tackles for loss per game they're they're also um they're also 123rd in the country giving up 3.9 sacks per game so kj jefferson is getting demolished back there behind the offensive line the offensive line is also giving up a ton of tackles for loss in the running game if you want a point and this is one of the reasons why i think if you're arkansas and you're concerned about them if you were a fan you'd be concerned about pitman because pitman is supposed to be the offensive line guy they're supposed to have a good offensive line and then the question is what can he build around it how can he recruit around it you know we talk about florida's offensive line struggling but arkansas has been worse and so uh you know to me florida has an advantage at quarterback Florida has an advantage on the offensive line. Both of those things are things that that they've that they've struggled with. And I just think that there's probably going to be some explosive plays out there for Florida that Arkansas is not going to be able to get. So I think um, if I'm looking at this overall, I think Florida probably has an advantage. I'm guessing Florida's favored. And then obviously this one's in the swamp. And Florida has just been better at home all year long. So I'm looking for Florida to win this one. I think Florida is going to be uh, – I think Florida's going to be jazzed to be home. I think they know that this is one they really have to get, and uh, I expect them to be be ready to go. And, you know, Arkansas just fired their offensive coordinator coming off a of bye week, so obviously that has an impact, right? Florida got beat up against Georgia last week, and Arkansas is coming in off a of bye. At the same time, it's not like you can completely change your offense, even when you change your offensive coordinator and – you know, we'll see whether Arkansas is really bought into Pittman because remember what happened to Florida when they got rid of Grantham and when they got rid of Hevesy. It's not like everything got better, right? <laughs> like, like things didn't get better. It still went downhill. You eventually had the loss to Missouri and you had that ugly loss to South Carolina that that caused the firing, That, but then you had the loss to Missouri and that, that was the end of the Dan Mullen era. Um, whether that's going to happen to Pittman or not, I don't know, but there is a possibility that Arkansas is sort of spiraling down that hole, and it may be that Florida is able to catch them on that as well and take advantage of it. Yeah, offensive coordinator Dan Enos fired after a, a terrible 7-3 to performance against Mississippi State. Uh, bad, bad loss, especially a lot, a lot of folks high on K.J. Jefferson coming into this season. Jefferson – obviously seems like a special talent across the board hasn't quite put it together in terms of uh, taking the next step as a quarterback and really the program altogether has felt that way with Arkansas a little starting to get a little stale that's the feeling around the program there I think it's a little bit early to jump the gun on Sam Pittman I think he's done he did a great job flipping it around as fast as he did I think he deserves a little more time to figure it out but well I, I wouldn't get too hung up on the record with this the stats certainly uh, are promising as well, but record-wise, any Gator fan expecting an uh, easy game here, I think this Hogs team is going to come in and, and they're going to be pretty desperate and fighting, and I, I don't think they're just going to roll over. So I'm expecting a tough game here. The Gators, of course, uh, probably their best shot for a bowl game here. Definitely their best shot to, to get that win number six, to get bowl eligible. I'd put LSU at about 70-30 split toward LSU about 60 40 toward Missouri and maybe about maybe about 70 30 as well with FSU right so it's like those are more long shot games and tough games those are gonna be tough wins so if you want to go bowling this is the time to get it done 
Yeah, so ESPN has the line Florida's favored by five and a half. That's pretty generous, actually. Um, ESPN's analytics has this as a 51.7% to 48.3% advantage to Florida. That's strictly home field advantage. They're basically like, it's in the swamp, and so we're going to give the advantage to Florida. But at least statistically, they're looking at it saying these are very, very similar teams overall, or at least strength versus strength, weakness versus weakness when they face each other. And look, South Carolina, what, they're two and six now, right? So it's not as yeah. though uh, it's not as though, I mean that's a game. Two of the best two and six teams in America. Well, <laughs> so we're sitting there huh. celebrating that win over South Carolina a couple of weeks ago, and they're sitting there at two and six as well. Um, obviously Arkansas zero and five in the conference, um, but you know, look, two and six team in the SEC is still one that can come up and bite you. Florida is not good enough to take anybody for granted. No. Um, they don't have to be perfect, and I think that's the thing that probably um, you, know, you think about at least on the defensive side of the ball. And this is one of the reasons why you're talking about LSU, Missouri, and FSU being games where you're like, eh, I don't know about those because those offenses are so good. LSU's first in the country, Missouri's 14th in the country, FSU's seventh in the country in yards play overall. We expect those teams to be able to torch Florida's defense pretty good. 128th for Arkansas, so they should be able to make some mistakes, right? They should be able to maybe not get pressure on a play, and the defensive back should hold up. There should be a throw that's a little bit errant. The defensive backs have an opportunity to pick. They should be able to break through the offensive line for Arkansas and and cause some havoc for K.J. Jefferson. There will be some things that they can do, and they should be able to, you know, the, the holding penalty that everybody forgets about before the fourth down play to ETN – there was a holding or a face mask or whatever it was on 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 Eglican before that set them back at, at second or at first and 25. And those sorts of plays you might be able to get away with in, in a game against Arkansas. So, um, look, this isn't a guarantee. I don't think Florida is necessarily going to be able to just come out and roll the ball out and win. They can't do that against anybody. But in terms of best chance for six wins, absolutely, this is the one. Well, we have been pretty good in the games that we're expected to win this year, so let, let's give the Gators credit for that. So this is the time to get it done, get bowl eligible. Cool note here, the Gators will, will wear all black uniforms for the first time in program his, history to honor Veterans Day, a tradition that Napier has brought over from his time at Louisiana. The uniforms will be auctioned off, and the proceeds will support military families after the game, which is certainly a good cause. Uh, I've said it before. In this show, on this show, you've said it too. I think you're more of a traditional guy. I think the Gators got it right the first time on the jerseys. I don't need to see a ton of alternates uh, with it. I I'm interested to see what they look like, but I, I just like I like this standard. I like the standard look. I don't like messing with it, but it is a great cause, and I also think it is a cool way for Napier to further put his stamp on this program. Certainly something that he seems uh, dedicated to, and 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 you really can't can't blame him. So it se- it seems like a great idea and a cool way to for the Gators to uh, do a little salute to service around Veterans Day here. Yeah, well, look, I mean the white, white, whites that everybody is uh, has has looked at the those are really cool uniforms the blue 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 was a little bit weird um i know a lot of people like that it was just one of those things where like the blue helmet didn't feel like florida um for some reason the white helmet felt more like florida than the blue one did to me um we'll see it's black 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 we'll see what it looks like i was a little bit surprised they didn't go with the orange helmet because the orange helmet would really contrast with the black pretty well um maybe they'll mix that in the next couple of years but like you said it's for a great cause uh, i got no problems with that i i love that they're doing stuff for the military i have uh i have been pleased with with florida's 
um, not foray, but at least Florida's stance on some of the political stuff that's happened recently. Um, you know, and and that it's uh, you know the the organization seems to be very supportive of troops, of veterans, and those sorts of things. Napier specifically, and so hey, it's a good cause. We should support those people, and and the fact that Florida's doing that through the through the jerseys is a good thing. Yeah, I think they've made it clear that this is going to be an annual thing. I don't think mm-hmm. this is just like a one off. So this is this is coming. Uh, during the Billy Napier era, this is something that I think they started talking about it last year. They just didn't have the time to put it and together. It, I don't think and so. It, they... And as far and as far as traditions concerned, I mean, as long as you wear the home uniforms against Georgia when you're playing in 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 Jacksonville, I don't think that's an issue, right? Like, there's no real tradition of wearing the the Florida home jerseys against Arkansas. So this is one where they they looked at one said there's not a whole lot of tradition with this game specifically. Let's target that one. It's around Veterans Day. Let's target that one and go. Um, it's going to be weird if they wear the blacks against LSU. It'll be weird if they wear them against Tennessee or if they wear them against Georgia. Those sorts of things. But look, I mean, I'm old. There are things I don't like changing, but change is inevitable. And if the recruits like it, and if the if the kids who buy the jerseys like it and fund that sort of stuff, then hey. We're all black. Just win the damn game, and I got no problem with whatever jersey you're wearing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm positive that's aside from being one of the ugliest uh, jerseys that I've ever seen. Those gator skin jerseys from uh, the A and M game with Franks. That uh, I think if we win the game, people are more receptive to those coming back. But that was such an ugly game on top of the jersey that people are never again, never again with us. So if you go out. They play well in those jerseys, Gators. People will fall in love with them pretty quickly. Well, nothing can be – I mean, again, personal opinion. I'm sure there are people who like this, but nothing can be worse than the blue jerseys with the orange sleeve or the orange shoulder pad, the one orange shoulder the pad. The Gator like, skin jerseys were significantly worse. You're talking about the – uh, for, for anybody who wants to see it, so what was it, the 05 Georgia game? Yeah, that Nike – I think they did that. They do that with Tech too. They did that with a couple yeah, of – Yeah, they did it with Virginia Tech too. It was uh, – yeah. I mean – I get it. You try new things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I prefer the Gator skin over that one. Um, but again, that's uh, eh. yeah. Teach his own, man. Well, we'll see. So the Gators coming out in black jerseys against Arkansas. Great chance to get bowl eligible before a tough finish down the stretch. Turn the page on Georgia, Will. We don't have to dwell on it anymore. It is what it is at the moment. We will continue to, to see. It's it's Napier's annual test. So we'll see where the program stands. We know our answer for 2023. Looking forward to the next shot in 2024. Uh, any final words before we head out? No, just look. I mean, I think your opinion, or at least my opinion is, that our view of Florida shouldn't change after the Georgia game because we knew what the weaknesses were coming in and Georgia was able to exploit those. Um, we also knew that this schedule was, was, was backloaded, right? That they were going to have to get the wins early that they needed to in order to make it work. Arkansas is one of those on the back end that we hope they can get a win on and, and get to that bowl eligibility. That doesn't mean they're hopeless against LSU, Missouri, and FSU. And if, no. and if you'd have told me, and we've been saying this all year long, right? If you'd have told me seven and five, and honestly, if that if that seventh win comes over Florida State and ruins their playoff chances, that's a successful season. Yeah. You went, you beat Tennessee, you beat Florida State, and so you beat two of your two of your four rivals when you when you factor LSU into that as well. Um, you ruin Florida State's season, and um, you know so there's still a lot of stuff on the horizon that Florida can accomplish. Is it the most likely scenario? 
No, but that Florida Florida State game is weird, and those rivalry games end up being weird, and so hope and that one is in the swamp, right? And so again, you got a home game with an opportunity to ruin Florida State's season. What more could you ask for? So let's get to six this week with Arkansas. Let's go play LSU and Missouri tough. Hopefully you can get one of those two. And then let's get to Florida State with a chance to get to seven or eight wins and ruin their season and make this a great season for us. I'll take that right now. I'll sign up for that right now. That sounds good. All right, everybody. Post-Georgia game, we got through it. We got through the post-Georgia episode here. We'll see you all next week. Hopefully we'll be talking about the Gators going bowling. For Will Miles, I'm Nick Newton. Have a great week, everybody. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.